morning and happy Sabbath. My name is Joey and I'm the pastor for administration at the Loma Linda University Church. And if you joined us before, you know we're in the midst of a journey through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses starts this book by recanting the history of salvation, how God led the Israelite people out of slavery and delivered them to the promised land. And now at the cusp of the promised land, they're having a defining the relationship talk about what this relationship between God and his people are about. And in chapter six, we hit this turning point in the conversation where he no longer talks about the history. Now he looks towards the future, about what it will take for the Israelite people to prosper in the land that God is now giving them. Now, as you may have noticed, things are a little bit different. Pastor Miguel is usually here to um, introduce the topic, but he's away um, continuing his education. But that allows us to have a special guest join us. His name is Pastor Philip. But before I call him on, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll discuss this chapter together. Dear Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you so much for being our God of grace, our God of love, a God who shows love to us first. And so as we journey through chapter six, help us to spot those, those nuggets of love, of truth, and of hope in this passage is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad to welcome um, Pastor Philip. He is the pastor for uh, young adults at our church. Pastor Philip, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be here, Joey, and glad to see all of you virtually. <laughs> yeah, for, for people who are not familiar with you, why don't you share a little bit yeah, about yourself? Yeah, sure, sure. So, I am a husband of one wife and many children. No, I'm just kidding. I have two kids. And right now, we love them so much. So my, my wife and I uh, live here in Loma Linda, and I really enjoy basketball, riding, spending time with people, and truly, truly am so grateful to be a pastor here with this team, grateful to be here with you, Joey, to be in this conversation. And I'm really excited about chapter six and just the surrounding chapters and what we have to talk about here because it it felt as though it really related to my life and mm. my circumstances right now so and particularly as a young adult pastor yeah so i'm really you know i i would say i'm an advocate for a generation yeah that's kind of my my idealistic mm version of a title, I guess you could say, an advocate for a generation. We should change your title to that. Yeah, that would be good. So that's that's really my place. And so I see that these chapters really hit that, you know, talking about young adults just for a moment. It's a different generation. Mm. And uh, many people try and say, well, hey, just 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 figure it out. We did too. Mm. Uh, and I think there is a place for that kind of a speech. But let's recognize the world's really different. Mm. Um, there have been four different shifts that have occurred in the world since the 1950s even. Yeah. We have an economic shift. We went from manufacturing to now technology and education. Mm -hmm. So young students uh, from high school, 18 years old, could get a great job and yeah. be in that for 40 years of their life, right? You can't do it anymore. Now you have to make sure you get an education, post degrees, and go beyond. Mm -hmm. And then there was a sexual shift. 1960s and 70s, coming back from the Vietnam War, there was just this revolution of saying, hey, 
you know what, let's move out of the bounds of tradition and traditionalism and rules has been defined by religion, yeah. you know? So morality change, that's a huge one. Uh, you also have then a shift of leisure mm. that occurred. So there's this idea of, there's a technological shift, an explosion rather that mm -hmm. happened, increasing our connectivity to one another, but yeah. also leisure. Yeah. Uh, we have the leisure ability with finances. So mm -hmm. kids have a lot more disposable income to them. Yeah. They have a lot more time. You know, a young person at 15 in the 1960s was like, hey, how can I get a job to get some money to provide to get on and keep going? Yeah. Now it's like, I definitely don't want to get my driver's permit. My mom and dad will drive me for a while. Yeah. You know, so what we've seen with just these different shifts that have occurred, it has elongated young adulthood. And so... Looking at this passage here, Joshua and Moses are having to look beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. Hey, to the next generation, how can you bless them, help them go to the next level that I'm calling them to? And so yeah. I think as pastors, that's, that's our call too. How do we look to the next generation to help them rise up to the next level of where God is calling them to, mm -hmm. but in the midst of the circumstances they're in yeah. that are very different than years before? You know, that's, that's so powerful because it's easy to think, well, young adults, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So they're going through the same things that right. we've all gone through when right. we were young adults. But what you're pointing out is that it's, it's that things always change, but it's the pace of change. Mm -hmm. It's those four mm -hmm. shifts that have such dramatically changed our lives that yeah. this, this generation has to deal with in ways that previous generations may not have Absolutely. had to. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just to be understood at baseline, yeah. but some people don't even recognize that, nor do they want to even think like, well, does that really change much? But it does. Yeah, It really does. You're talking about global connectivity mm -hmm. that we've never seen before. Yeah. News would take some time to get to you yeah. in past. No, it's like instant. I heard an earthquake just happened here. Mm -hmm. There's a fire that happened. There was a shooting here. Wow, Germany. I know what's happening there. Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, it's like instantaneous. Yeah. So these shifts are things that we should pay attention to, not to give, quote-unquote, young adults a break, mm. but just recognize what happened and why. So why are they getting married later and later? Mm. Why are they having kids later and later? Why are they still struggling to find jobs later and later? Yeah. Well, let's look at the shifts. Yeah. You know? So God's people, for instance, here, they had a big shift. Yes. Right? They yeah. moved from being an enslaved people mm. for 430 years. Yeah. Then they had a shift of wandering for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, now we're going to walk into a place of permanence in the promised land. Yeah. And so in the same way that Moses has helped them, perhaps we could help the young, young adults navigate some of these shifts in oh, their yeah. lives by maybe looking at some of the same principles that Moses gives to yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... I would. I wonder, Joey, if if we looked at, for instance, the central kind of teaching for today, and then we could jump around a little bit. Yeah. Um, Let's so, do that. yeah, at the heart of this this passage, uh, Deuteronomy six is the Shema, which is perhaps the most famous verse or mm -hmm. series of verses in in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Um, it's what the Jews call the Shema because it, it's the Jewish word for the Hebrew word for here, mm. which is the first word of mm. that verse. Let's let's take a look at it. It's Deuteronomy yeah. chapter 6, starting with verse 4, reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
So this is that core, mm. core mm. Um, message mm. of, of, of Deuteronomy, and mm. it's summarized here. And I, I love what the lesson was saying, um, that this is, he begins this whole passage with instructions of how they can prosper, mm. right? The first three verses say, this is how you're going to prosper mm. in this new land that I'm giving you. Mm. A lot has changed. You are no longer in slavery. You you are no longer going to be traveling from place to place. You're not going to yeah. be a nomadic people anymore. You're going to be a settled people. Things are going to change. But here is, so with as you're navigating these changes, here's what you need to know. Mm. So he says that in verses one through three, now, this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going to possess, mm. that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Mm. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you wow. and that you may m multiply greatly wow. as the Lord, the, the God of your fathers has promised My you in goodness. the land flowing. So he's saying, this is how you are going to prosper mm. here. And then the first mm. thing he tells them is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Mm. Love him with all your heart wow. and all your soul wow. and all your mind. So my, my question to you, Philip, is why do you think that command mm. to love God comes first? Why do you think that is mm. at the principle upon which he builds the rest of the instructions throughout the mm. book of Deuteronomy? Mm. Why is it so? Why was it so important for these Israelite people as they entered into this new life to remember to love God with mm. all their heart and all mm. their soul and all mm. their mind? Wow, that's a great question, Joey. I think, for one, if we think about our day and age right now, yeah. that wouldn't even be a starting place to love God. Mm -hmm. A reminder to love God. Love God. God, why do I need God? Yeah. So I think the idea that God is giving it to these people as, hey, a reminder in their lives is, I think that happens in every generation. We yeah. forget Him. Yes. And if you talk about how do you live your best life now, He's establishing a protocol of how to do that. In order to do that, you actually have to have God as your authority. Mm. You know, I think about an individual who wants to marry someone who isn't a believer. Yeah. Right? I've been in these situations. You have too. I love them. I care for them. They're an amazing person. And you hear them out. And you're like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I understand. And then you get to the text in Ephesians 5 and it says, Submit to one another as to the Lord. Mm. Because they recognize there's an authority in their life. There's someone over them. Yes. And so when you talk about living your best life, mm. if you have no authority that's over you, mm. you're just living as a rogue, yeah. independent source. You know, and that's how most of the world runs. That's mm. how you, we run when we're out of line and step with God. Yeah. And so I think the thing is, when you remember it first and foremost, then you're living under the authority of God as your guide. Mm. And so we know what happened when they weren't. Yeah. The stories of the wilderness and when they were wanting their own way. Mm -hmm. Every time, God's like, fine, okay, okay. You, you want to complain about this? You don't want me as your authority? Fine. Yeah. And that's the sad thing is just that so many times we imagine we have it figured out a little yeah. better, right? I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life you thought you had it figured out better and it was just like, <laughs> Oh, I did not. I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah. I tried to do it on my own. Yeah. 
I mean, definitely. And there's times where I thought I knew better than God. There's times that I knew, thought I knew better than my wife. And every time <laughs> I was proven wrong. <laughs> so God and your wife are kind of at that line, I see. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. I, I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, we, we sort of laugh at the Israelites, you know, yeah. as they make these mistakes over and over again throughout their yeah. whole journey, right? Like, yeah. man, why can't you learn this lesson? It's just such a simple lesson. Right. Trust God. Right. Trust God and listen to what he's telling you to do and, and, and things will work out. Yeah. And yet, when it comes to me, mm. I don't always do that. And mm. I think that I'm perhaps the exception to the rule mm. that, yes, the Israelites needed to do that. But I know better. Yeah. I know better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do that. You know, I just uh, recently heard about uh, one psychologist teaching on love mm. uh, from getting his first name, last name, Plotsky. And he says that to have genuine love, you have to have both joy and trust. Mm. Without both, you don't actually have love. Mm. You can say to a girl who's looking at you, wow. I love him. I just care about him so much. And yet he's cheating on her. Mm. Well, so are you telling me you trust him? Well, no, I don't. Okay, so then let's use proper language. You have a lot of joy and positive affection towards him, even though you completely don't trust him. Wow. Therefore, you actually don't really love him, wow. do you? So when here God is speaking out to the Israelites, hey, yeah. love me first, it's like, trust me. Yes. Understand the positive affections and the joy that we can have together. Yeah. And then well, there's genuine love here then. Mm -hmm. But trust has got to be there. Oh, wow. And that's connected to this concept of fear that's actually brought up in this chapter as well. This idea that they need to fear God. And, you know, that word fear, it, in my mind, immediately conjures up like horror movies or like yeah. being scared yeah. of the dark or yeah. something. Yeah. But as many people know that in, in, in this passage, it's not talking about that kind of fear. It's mm. more of an awe, a yeah. respect, yeah. right? A trust. Right. Um, and I, I'm, I was thinking back to my um, college days, and there are some professors that I had fear, mm. that I respected, <laughs> right? And that I trusted. Yes. And then there were some professors that I didn't necessarily trust as much what yeah. they were teaching yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And I found that I learned better from the teachers that I trusted mm. rather than the teachers I didn't. Yeah. And it had really nothing to do with them more to do with my mindset mm. because when i trusted them regardless of whether they, what they were teaching me was correct or right. wrong or, right. or 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 whether they were trustworthy or not when i had trust in them it allowed me to learn better from them mm. and perhaps that has to do with god as well that, mm. that like you were saying mm. loving god has an element of that fear or trust yeah. or respect yeah. where we say God, I trust you enough to do what you say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if we just go back to the text just here for a moment, yeah. you know, it says that it may go well with you when you do the mm. commands. The, this, this idea comes out in verse 2 here, you know, yeah. teach them to your sons, your daughters and sons, that your days may be long and well. So there's this aspect of yeah. fearing God, but also living in his commands. Yes. It's one thing to believe. I believe in God. Mm. But am I willing to then take belief into action? Yeah. You know, the notion of love, is it a verb or is it a noun? Mm. Is it a feeling just? Or does it require an action? Mm. 
I think that's the aspect that hits me really a lot with this. Yeah. It's like, if I want my best life with Jesus, if I want my family, my my colleagues, my ministry that I'm part of, that the, the influence around me to go well, there has to be an aspect of action based yes. on God's commands. Wow, which is why Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. Right? And you know, honestly, the first time I read that, it bothered me a little bit. Really, right? why is that? Well, because it sounds like, it almost sounds like, oh, uh, that you see in movies, the uh, one one person in a relationship will say to to the other, well, if you love me, you'll do what I say, uh, right? I see. It's almost, it almost manipulative. sounds manipulative. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But God doesn't really mean it that way, right? Right. How does, how do you take that, that verse, if you love me, keep my commandments? Yeah, I mean, you know, everything through the lens of a marriage, you know, can be made sense to some degree, but it, it doesn't fully do justice to this story, this notion with God. But I think it makes sense in this in this way to me. It's just, I think of my wife, mm. and I remember early on in our marriage, man, we were struggling. Yeah. Wow, we were struggling. We didn't have that trust in there towards one another. Mm. And the joy even started to break down. There wasn't yeah. love. It was toxic. It was harsh. It was difficult. And then there came a point where it was like, hey, if I'm gonna love her well, I've gotta show her. Mm. I've, I've gotta act opposite to what my feelings are. Yeah. I've gotta genuinely do the things that a husband is called to do. Mm. It, it means, wow, I can't be in this space of selfishness, choosing my own way wow. and acting just for me. But it's like, I have to step in the spotlight here and say, God, what is it going to look like to love her hmm. with action so that she genuinely then will trust yes. the words that are coming out of my mouth. Wow. So when it says that to me, it's like, hey, if you love me, keep my commandments, it makes sense. Hmm. It has nothing to do with manipulation. It just shows I'm genuinely committed to this. Hmm. And because of that, I understand that there are responsibilities in every relationship. Yeah. If you have a relationship with zero responsibility, I doubt you really have a healthy relationship. Mm. Well, we're free, we're easy to go, we can do whatever we want, you know, and it just feels great. Mm. Brother, I I don't know what kind of relationship you have, but it yeah. doesn't seem like it's a healthy one if there's no constraint and, and mm -hmm. sense of duty towards one another yeah. with action. There's gotta be a commitment and it, right. it needs to reveal itself in action. Right, right. How did you work that out? Yeah, yeah, similar to what you were saying, uh, I think it's also connected to that notion of trust as you were bringing out mm -hmm. that if you love someone, you will trust what they say, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's that seems to me what, what Jesus is saying and what God is saying here. God is, it, it, we have to realize chapter six is not the beginning of Deuteronomy, mm, right? Mm. Moses begins by recanting first all the things that God has already done for them. Mm. And he says, based on this, you can trust me, mm. you can trust me, you can fear me, you can love me, because you've already seen throughout the history of your, uh, of your people how much I care for you mm. and how I'm willing to provide mm. for you. So, mm. so do what I say, trust me mm. that I have your best intentions mm. at heart. It's only manipulative if you don't really have the other person's best interest mm. in heart. Mm. He's saying, I, I actually, you know, when I say to my wife, well, trust me, do this, <laughs> She may or may not trust me in, the, in that area. Um, but God is trustworthy in every area. Yeah. You know, there's a limit 
to what I'm able to do. My wife will come and trust me, but but there's times when that trust will be misplaced because I don't know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. But with God, it's not just a trust in his goodness, but it's also a trust in his ability mm. to say, God, I mm. know that you are not only good, but you're also great. Yeah. That you yeah. that you have the you you know better than me and you have my best intentions sure. at heart. Sure. And both aspects of God is true mm. are true. Mm. And that's that's what it means to fear God. Mm. Yeah. You know, if we go back to the text just for a moment, I, I do wonder why God said it the way he did. Mm. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm -hmm. Why did he have to emphasize the oneness yeah. of God? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've we've talked about before in the in these studies that uh, the the message that they were battling back then was not just a message of um, whether there was a God or not, because most people during that time assumed that there were gods, mm. right? It's how many gods there mm. were, right? Everybody mm. thought, mm. yes, so yeah, there, there's the Israelite God. His name is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. So that's the Israelite mm -hmm. God. But then there's also the Canaanite gods. Mm. And there, there are the pantheon of the Babylonian gods yeah. and Egyptian gods, yeah. right? And he seems to be saying, actually, I'm the only God. There's only one. There's only one. Yeah. And I'm the only one that is that deserves your, your trust and your affection, Oof. your joy wow. and your trust. Wow. Yeah. That's a great point. I I think of uh, Timothy Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. Yeah. And it really targets the idea that in our day and age, there are counterfeit gods which yearn for their affection mm. from us. You know, and he targets money, sex, and power, mm -hmm. and how they seem to allure us with such gravity. It's just like when they're in the room, when there is a, a yearning for power, I mean, it sucks everything into it, yes. into a, almost a black hole, you know, that draws everything within. And, and there in, in the book, Timothy, just Dr. Professor, Pastor Timothy Keller points to the fact that none of these actually will genuinely satisfy. Mm. None of them. And so when here God looks at the children of Israel and he says, listen, no, the Lord our God, he's one, love him. Mm -hmm. Again, it comes from this aspect, listen, power is great to an extent. Mm -hmm. Sex is awesome to an extent. Mm -hmm. Money is amazing to an extent because none of them will fulfill you in the way that I can. Mm -hmm. If you would only but trust me, yeah. you will see. There's this need, I think, regularly in our lives to reaffirm that commitment yes. against the competing gods of this age, which draw us into themselves regularly. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen all the time. And so it's this affirmation. That's why I think the Shema is beautiful in the Jewish culture. It's a regular prayer that's recited yeah. because there's this necessity to recognize, listen, wow, I can't just say this once and hope it does justice. Yeah. I've got to repeat this over and over. I think in some Jewish communities, it's like a daily thing yeah. to say the Shema. Wow, so much good in what you just said. Let me start with the, the first part, this idea of counterfeit gods. Yeah. Because we can easily assume that because we don't worship idols, that we don't have counterfeit gods. Mm. But as you were pointing out, and as T Timothy Keller points out, we do have other gods. Oh, yeah. Things that become our obsessions, those mm. are our gods. The mm. things 
on around which we order our lives, yeah. right? The things that we devote our time and our efforts and uh -huh. our energy and our money and wealth towards, those things are our gods. And so if I'm getting up at 2 a.m., um, just so that I can check whether Bitcoin jumped <laughs> another two thousand dollars, then then that has become my god. Oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, yeah. And and that that we have to intentionally. And I love what you said at the end. We have to intentionally make sure that we have to engage in practices, regular practices mm. that remind us to put. God as our only God, yeah. our one God, yes. and not allow all of these other things. Yeah. So then what does that look like? What kind of practices can we engage in mm. so that we remember that God is our only God and that mm. we place him before these other mm. things? How can we do that? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know if you have the notes from our staff worships when we read the book on um, common practice. The common rule. The common rule. Yeah. What were those six? I think of just the one that has been one I've been fighting for regularly, and that's just, hey, before I get up, first thing is scripture before prayer. Mm. Oh, scripture just before phone. Before phone. Yeah. Before prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. No, we want both of those synonymously, but but scripture before the phone. Yeah. Because in this technological world, it's like I'd rather go pick up my phone. I don't know about you. Sometimes in the morning, it's like, uh, what what's the next message? The news briefing, uh, what's going on in social media? What's yes. happening here and there? So I think that's a great one. Just just the reorienting of the mind. Mm. This week, our young adult ministry is doing a we're calling it a soul fast, yeah. letting the soul rest. You know, just our spirit. This this idea of just letting letting our our emotional selves rest from mm -hmm. technology. Yeah. So I haven't been using social media this whole week, you know. And for some of you out there, you're like, that's not a big deal. <laughs> for, a, you know, a younger generation, it's just a regular common practice. Hey, I'm on it. I'm looking at it. So we said this whole week we're not going to be using it. Mm. And it's been really nice, actually. Wow. I don't know if I need to go back to it. You will know? your followers miss you? <laughs> I, they, they will not. <laughs> they won't. It's more so just my interest in the world that's yeah. around me in that space. So I think just choosing choosing God before other things is a good one for me. What about for you? What's something that you've tried? And Yeah, I, I do think that practice of fasting is a powerful tool, mm. whether, whether it is fasting for social media mm -hmm. or fasting from other things. And, and the beautiful thing about the fast is it's not just a negation. It's not just the removal of something. It's a removal of something to make space for God. Yeah. Right. So I am taking social media out of my life. So I have time to spend with God. Yes. Or I am taking, yeah. you know, food out of my life, which is something that they regularly did, not just so that I could feel hungry, mm. but also so that I could receive spiritual food yeah. during that time instead. Yeah. Yeah. And that for me has been a very powerful thing. It's, yes. you know, and, and it's what's so interesting about all of this is that that fasting has become so it's, it's something that people outside of the Christian faith um, also do. They talk about resets mm. and fasts. I mm. mean, this is normal mm. knowledge. Mm. This is normal language now, yeah. right? That I'm yeah. going to fast. Yeah. And, and people use that as a reset. Right. What a powerful thing right. that we, we can speak into, into right. today's culture, this idea of fasting. Yeah. Not just fasting to reset myself 
um, so that I, I weaken the hold of something over me, mm. but also fasting so that I can strengthen God's hold mm. over me. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that happens for us as believers when we intentionally choose that path of yeah. resetting yeah. by some of these practices. You know, we, we understand as, as believers that our soul, which is us, Spirit of God and our body coming together is us. Yeah. You know, we are we are one in connection with the Lord through that. He breathed His Spirit into us. But I think one thing we forget is we're also made up of a, a mind-body connection with mm-hmm. God. And this can get clouded. Yeah. When we fast, it is literally like a palate cleanse. Mm-hmm. You know, someone uh, gives you a, a very fine palate cleansing dessert if you go to a really nice restaurant yeah. I've had it a few times and it just kind of wow it's a reset and you try something new and you get a palate cleansing kind of a little it's like an, a sorbet of sorts and and that's that's what these things do they reset our affections towards god again yeah. so it's like wow i've been loving the wrong things here in my life yes. reset wow. fast pray seeking after him yeah. giving Um, those are great ways to just affirm our trust and affection in God. Some people think about tithe giving as a limiting factor. Oh, I have to give tithe. Mm. Friend, talk about trust in action and genuine love. Like, do you trust him with your money? (laughs) I don't know how many of you have been like me in your journey, and it's it's not been an easy one. And so I would encourage each one of you, try fasting, try praying, seeking first in prayer and, and scripture, but also giving. Yeah. How many of you are actually actively giving faithfully your tithes and offerings? Try that. See what happens in terms of your affection towards the Lord. How much you appreciate your local church more, your pastors, your time in those spaces. It changes mm. um, when your money's there too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, ah, give or take, I'll go, I won't go. Oh, I give my money here. I give serving my time here. My affections are here. Same thing happens um, yeah. with our affections for the Lord. So, yeah. Man, that's so powerful because, you know, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart, heart will be. Heart will be, yeah. Right? Yeah. So maybe that's why God put that because he knew money's stronghold over people, it's potentially stronghold oh, over yeah. people. That's why he built in that practice. Yeah. Just outside of regular fasting, he's saying, this is something I want you to do regularly, mm. which is a tithe of your income, mm. as a way of reminding you that this is not your God. Yeah. There is only one God, yeah. and it's not money. Yes, right? yes. So, and we've, we started off our discussion talking about um, this changing world and how young adults, but not just young adults, adults in general, we've had to navigate with this rapidly changing world. Mm. And we've felt it even more strongly with COVID, right? So then how do we live out this principle, this ancient command that 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 uh, Moses gives to the Israelites to love God first? How do we live that out in our own lives? So if you were talking to young adults, which you mm. often do mm. about this, mm. What, what do you say to them about what, what, what it takes to put God first and to love God with mm. all your heart mm. and all your soul and mm. all your mind? Mm. Mm. What does that look like? And what does it look like to yeah. teach that yeah. to the next generation? I mean, first off, I think it starts with modeling. Yeah. How am I living that myself? Mm. I think 
people are not won over by great words or just simply uh, you know smart comments but a life well lived yeah. is more impactful i like how ellen white puts this i'm forgetting in which book uh, those of you uh, who know who ellen white is you'll you'll know where this passage is but it's like a family well ordered for the gospel is a greater influence and impact on the unbelieving world than anything a preacher could wow. say you know and so you think about okay teach your children teaching comes in the form of how you live your life mm. when you live your life in accordance to god's scripture living it out faithfully before your kids eyes when you're not preaching to them when you're not giving them a sermon about this or that but just you're doing it because you do it because you love it because that's your life it's a lifestyle mm. of living out the shema that's a game changer mm. so if it doesn't start out with you living it out in your life everything you say is kind of really needless mm. kids are the greatest copycats of anyone else yeah, you know we've got so a, a two-year-old who literally copies every word i say every action i do <laughs> you know i was kind of moving to some music as i was washing and then i look over at my daughter and there she is moving to the music i'm like where did you learn that terrible dance move <laughs> oh that was me that was me you know yeah so i think this is literally impacted mm. 10 times over by a life well lived yeah. secondly i would say when it says to teach them diligently this word diligent it is a notion of persistence you can't assume that you taught them once they're going to get it once mm. you know when i'm teaching my young adults it's like every year i'm almost recycling similar ideas and thoughts and uh, um, teachings mm -hmm. we're going to hit every year the topic of of adventism and on why it exists and what its purpose is in the world and why we still see that this lens of Adventist Christian faith is important. Mm -hmm. We're going to hit the topics of dating and relationships and how to honor God through them every year. We're going to hit the topic of how do you understand the Bible and let's let's call ourselves to convicting, reading it every, you know. These are things I'm going to do every time. This diligent persistence, mm -hmm. so important. It's wow. not a one-time thing. You can't assume it'll, oh, they get it, it's done. Yeah. So that one and the last thing, I think you look at the text and it says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Oh, yeah. It's this notion of also binding it on the hand and letting it be on the frontlets of your eyes. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Let the teachings come out naturally wow. in doing your everyday life. So my daughter and I just saw a person that was homeless the other day. I threw out a granola bar at one person. I literally, someone was honking the horn. I was like, oh no, and I threw it. And my daughter's like, oh, Tata, granola bar. And I said, oh, well, this person, you know, is suffering with homelessness, mm -hmm. you know? Our brother's mm -hmm. suffering with this right now, and we're giving them food. And, oh, wow. And so we had a moment to teach about that. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to take opportunities every time they come. Wow. Any moment they're there, don't think it'll come back again. Some things happen once. Don't miss the opportunity to teach walking yeah. by the wayside keeping it before you and them so yeah some ideas i have i don't yeah. know joey what do you think about that and no, that's so what powerful. would you add so modeling yeah persistence yeah and then take every opportunity yeah yeah take every opportunity as they come absolutely in that's yeah. so powerful because it's so true that our our kids seem to pick up lessons well at least my kids seem to pick up lessons that i do rather than more than the lessons that i say right yeah. 
Yeah, uh, whether they're good or bad, <laughs> pick up those lessons. And uh, we wonder where they, if, if I'm ever wondering where my daughter picked it up, they probably picked it up from me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're hoping it's a good thing. Yes, I am hoping. Uh, I'm hoping. Yeah. yeah. I guess what, what else stands out to you, Joey, in this text that you would say, hey, I'd love to, to leave our listeners with? Yeah. I guess for me, um, this idea of God being one is not just God being one and God, God being the love of our lives, which is maybe a strange way for some people to say it, but that God becomes the primary love of our lives. Mm. That concept is, is not just a theory in the way that Moses frames this, right? As we've talked about throughout, throughout this discussion, it's, it's lived out in the way the Israelites live them out mm. in their everyday lives. Mm. Moses doesn't just say, okay, like your question, love is love a verb or love a, 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 a oh, noun, no. right? No. It's, it's actually both, mm. but that there is an action element to this, mm. that love is not just something that they, they think about and they think, oh yes, God, God is my love, but that it actually changes their behavior. Mm. I love how um, James K. Smith, in um, You Are What You Love, yeah. he talks about how actually even acting in love increases our love. And I think that's something oh, that you brought out in, in when you were talking about your love for your wife, mm. right? That there, there was a time when trust was breaking down and as a result, joy was breaking down. Mm. And what seemed to turn it around was not you just saying, I just need to love my wife. I just need to love her, love her, love her yeah. in my heart, right? It was you actually changing your yes. practices. Yes. You started to do loving acts to her yes. and that grew love. Yeah, yeah. Right? John Piper says, duty will turn to delight. Mm. You know, it's just faithful Can you action. say that again? That's, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah, duty will turn to delight. delight. You know, so it's taking the notion of, this is what I was called to. This is uh. what I agreed to. I'm going to faithfully live it out. This is my duty. And as you persistently follow through in that, it will become a delight. Yeah. You know, as you give it to the Lord, God will reorder your affections. Mm. You know, so I think that's a that's a beautiful thing, whether it's a relationship or a practice of reading scripture or just, you know, hey, uh, you've agreed to a business, you're trying to start, hey, keep faithful in that. Don't give up. Keep yeah. going, you know. Um so those are some things that hit me as well, Joey. I, I just think of one last thing, I guess, and, and just the idea of teach it to your children. The text before this stands out to me in a way when we talk about children, and, and there's two things. One is the idea of the next generation. Mm -hmm. We started with the next generation uh, at the very beginning, and, and I want to talk about first chapter four, and then let's go back to three. So. Chapter 4, Deuteronomy, verse 9. And here, God gives them a similar idea. And you can kind of, I guess, start in verse 6. Keep them, do them, for they will be wisdom and under your understanding in the sight of the peoples. And when they hear the statutes, surely this great nation has a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all the laws that I set before you today? Only take care to keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and your, lest you depart from them 
in your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You talk about the love that you have for God. That's awesome. But how devastating is it when a parent comes up to a pastor? My child has walked away from faith, from belief. They've even estranged themselves from the family. Yeah. Oh, it's devastating. It is devastating. Now, I would never call that child lost. Mm-hmm. I would say that they are disengaged for a season. Yeah. Uh, the Spirit of God can reach any heart, any person. Those of you who are out there wondering, my children aren't at church. I'm wondering about them. Hey, do not ever think they are lost. It is God who deems one lost or not. But God also has a greater love than you and I do for them. Mm-hmm. And He is always seeking them, always yearning for them. Whether their practice of faith and, and, and traditional uh, kind of religious practices looks like yours and mine may not be like that anymore. Mm-hmm. But are they lost? Let Him deem that. You be prayerful in this. But... But here the text talks about the next generation knowing the goodness of God. Mm. And I I love this idea. Keep your soul diligently, Mm. lest you even forget how God led you. To talk about, okay, the next generation, but it's like, listen, for the next generation to know the will and power and passion of God, you've got to not lose that passion Mm. yourself. Um, So some of you out there, man, I can't encourage you enough don't let go of following Jesus faithfully to the end of your last breath. Mm. This is not the time to let your guard down. Discouraging things will happen. Life takes turns you never expected. A divorce, a loss of this, a disengaged kind of family member in a way you never thought would happen, a lost expectation of this and that. You know, there's so many things that will lose our hope. And here the text says, no, keep your soul diligently Hmm. lest you forget wow that's a big one and the idea that it's not only just telling your children but your children's children yeah so grandparents have a call i love this here Hmm. i'm just thinking about that you know that grandparents have a duty to recount the faithfulness of christ in their lives and their how they parented their kids hey when your mother was this age this happened we prayed about it and god showed up what really no way (laughs) My dad tells the story of my brother when he lost his snorkeling uh, kind of set. Mm. And it was about to be sundown. It was Friday. They were at the coast there in Croatia where we were staying in our uncle's home. And, and they got on their knees and they started praying, Lord, mm. you know the Sabbath is coming and we would love to be able to bring these back home. They were yeah. Igor's favorite. And there, my brother, learning about seeking after God. And mm. I hear about this now, you know. Yeah. Now my daughter's hearing about this, yes. you know, from my father. And so recounting the stories of faithfulness mm. along with recounting the stories of truth, of God's law and mm. word. I think when you mix law and story together, they bring a beautiful blend of reality yes. there that isn't just, oh, this is just abstract teaching you're giving me. But no, 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 let's put real life to it. I don't know if you have a story that you'd share with with us, just Joey, of when God showed up in your life or your family's life or your parents' life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely stories with 
my parents, um, how my parents came to the United States and how God provided for them. Mm. Um, these are these stories have become a part of the the meta narrative mm. of our family. Mm. That you know um, uh, how my 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 grandfather was taken in the Korean War. Oh wow! Um, by the uh, the the North Koreans when they invaded Seoul, he was a um, uh, Adventist doctor really so and he was taken when my father was very young wow. so my father has very few memories of, of his father um, and he was taken away and so there was my grandmother left alone um, she was a nurse and um, she's raising four kids on her own and, wow. and an adopted daughter and uh, just the ways the stories of how God provided for my my family, and mm. then also made a way for them to come to the United States. Mm. I mean, it's it's stories of faithfulness that have been passed, like you said, mm. down the generations, mm. and have become part of my my story. Even though I wasn't there yeah. to hear that, yeah. yeah, and it reminds me of of something that we talked about at the beginning. That it, you know, the 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 Israelites' love for God is founded on. The fact that God loved them first, mm. right? The God, God actually, like we said, Moses starts this whole um, book of Deuteronomy with describing the ways that God has shown love to them, mm. and He says, "Remember these things. Yeah, remember. Don't yeah. forget, yeah. because as you remember how much God loves you, it will inspire your love mm. for Him." Right? My daughters and my my youngest daughter and I, we like to play this game at night where. I'll say, you know, I love you. And then she'll say, I love you more. And I'll say, I love you most. And she'll say, I love you more than most. And, <laughs> and so we do that. And, you know, it's it's uh, all in fun. But there's one thing that my daughter can't say, which is, I loved you first. Uh, because before she was born, before she even was aware of my existence, while she was in her mother's belly, I loved her. Mm, and this is something that a, only a parent can understand, oof. right? Isn't that so true? Uh, and... And that's the way that God loves us. Yeah. I mean, it, God, Ellen White talks about how before the foundations of this world, God already had a redemption plan in place. Mm. These people that he hadn't even created yet, he loved so much that he said, I'd be willing to die for them. Wow. That is the love of our father mm. for us. Mm. And I, I, when we remember how much God has loved us, when mm. we tell these stories, like you were saying, yeah. that's such an important part yeah. of, of putting God first. Yeah. And you feel so connected, even though you were never there, it becomes just part of your affection for the past and your, your heritage of God's faithfulness in your life. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I think what you said, the idea of your affections growing as you recount the story, mm. That is, I think, what God's after here. Yeah. When we recount these things, we remember who God is. We remember why we're waiting for him to come again. We remember why we're following all of this in the first place. Yeah. Why all of this matters. Yeah. When we recount these good acts of Jesus, it's, it's all worth it. And I wonder if someone out there is like, well, I don't really have any stories. Mm. I don't really know of any. My parents didn't tell me anything. Like I, I don't know if I have seen God's hand in our lives. I would challenge you, I guess, my friend, to pray specific prayers for God to show up in certain ways. Yeah. He will show up. It won't always be the way you want it and the way you want it, 
but he will act and he will declare who he is in your life if you take him at his word. The promises of God are true. Um, and that's so important because we humans are such forgetful beings, right? Yeah. We we think our memories are great, right? <laughs> Which is why sometimes we'll get into arguments with other people. No, I swear you were there. No, I was not there. No, I, I swear. I remember you distinctly. You were sitting oh, across from me. You were wearing this cover oh, shirt. Man. I was not there. I was out of the country oh, at the time. Man. Right? We have those. We have very faulty memories. I, I mean, recounted something. I just got intrigued. <laughs> I recounted a story at my best friend's wedding. Of he and I and things we were doing one day. He literally, everyone's laughing and having a great time. And then he comes up to me after it all. And he says, Philip, you realize I wasn't even there? <laughs> Is that just me by myself? Yeah, it was. Oh, man. It's so true. That's why they say eyewitness testimony is actually one of the was the least reliable oh. um, pieces of evidence that you can, you can go on. Because we have faulty memories. Yeah. Which is why it's so important for us to take time to recount mm. and to remember. Mm. And maybe part of the reason why God tells us to give thanks as a way of remembering yeah. some of the things that he's, he's done for us. Yeah. To take that time for that. I mean, we're approaching Thanksgiving season, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a great time to do that. But right. in all of our lives, um, I, I, every once in a while, you know, we talk about the negative things with social media. But one of the things I really appreciate about Facebook is every once in a while, it will pop up an old memory. Oh, yeah. Right? I do like that. Yeah. Yes. It'll be like a picture from the past. And a lot of them, because most of my most of my social media feeds are filled with my kids' pictures, right? Yeah. So it'll pop a picture of when my kids were young. And mm. I'll be like, I totally forgot about that. I, <laughs> Like that, 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 that event was such a, a momentous occasion at that time that I was willing to take a picture and memorialize it on the internet. Yeah. And yet I didn't even remember that it happened. And yeah. I didn't even remember that's what my daughters look like when they were that age, right? <laughs> like it, it just fades into the past because life moves so quickly. Yeah. So as we wrap up today, we've already talked about how one way to um, love God most um, is to engage in practices, right? Yeah. And some of the practices we talked about, fasting, doing scripture before phone, right? Yeah. Different things that we we say, God, you're going to be first. You're going to be mm -hmm. more than money or power or all these other counterfeit yeah. gods. Yeah. So that's one way to do that. One way to turn our duty into delight. Yeah. When it comes to remembering, what are some ways that we can engage in the practice of remembering mm. well? Mm. remembering so that we don't forget some of the amazing things that God has done, mm. right? Mm. You, you already mm. mentioned one, which is to tell stories, mm. right? To mm. take time to tell those stories of God's faithfulness um, intergenerationally. Yeah. So that even if it doesn't happen, it didn't happen to my kids. Yeah. If I tell the stories of how God provided for their great-grandpa. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's a powerful way of doing that. Yes. Are there other other ways that we can remember? Yeah, I think there's also kind of like this public collective remembering that mm. we do when we gather yes. on the weekend um, at church or at prayer meeting on, on whatever night that might happen or at a small group or at a home. Um, when we read scripture, I think we need to find ourselves within the pages of it. Mm. You know, if Paul's words are true, that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for encouragement, rebuke, and teaching, and oh. you know, then we need to find ourselves in the pages mm. itself. So when we publicly read scripture, yes. we should read larger amounts of it, 
and we should identify with it. Yeah. We should see ourselves in its pages yeah. as God speaking to me today. Wow. So the stories of Abraham, of, of David, yeah. of Paul, these are not just their stories, they're our stories. They're ours. Yeah. We're connected into the narrative of God from the beginning of time. Yeah. So when Matthew recounts the genealogy from Adam, literally, mm-hmm. to Jesus, that's my genealogy too, wow. right? Wow. To some degree, it's my genealogy as well. Like, wow, I'm connected to the Lord. Yeah. We are spiritual heirs. Yes. We are children of Abraham. Yeah, like spiritual writes. Israel. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think so. And what would you give a last word to everyone who's kind of thinking about how do I think about the next generation? And maybe in leadership, Joey, you're you're getting a doctorate in leadership, yeah. you know. I mean, what do you think about that, I guess, in terms of thinking about the next generation? Someone's getting older and thinking about wants to come behind them. Mm. It's it's something that Miguel often says. It's, we can quote him since he's not here good, with us today. Good. But he always talks about how the stories we tell ourselves form us, mm. right? And I think that's so powerful. The stories that we recount and we tell ourselves as leaders, we have the ability to tell the stories that will form us, form our loves for mm. God. And it is incumbent on leaders. One of the main roles of leaders is to keep retelling these stories. And that's something that our leader, Pastor Randy Roberts, does masterfully, mm. right? He's a masterful storyteller. Mm. But more than that, he's not just a good storyteller. He tells stories in a way that it transforms thoughts, ideas, and yeah. lives. Yeah, he does. Right? We're so powerful. Yes. And... I, I do. The longer I, I live as a part of this community, the more I realize how important those stories are. Mm. Not just the ones that he tells, mm. but all of our members. Yeah. I do think there is something important about being willing to mm. share our stories, whether it is yes. in front yes. on a screen to thousands of people yeah. or one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. Share those stories of what God is doing in our yes. lives with each other. Yeah, I love our media team. They're always finding stories of our church members and sharing them. Yeah. And I just went and spoke at Newbold College, and they gave me a book of the stories of the lives of church members in Newbold College. Wow. You know, and it's a way for them collectively to remember God's faithfulness among them. Mm. And that if God works in Sister you know, Edith's life, yeah. He can work in mine. Wow. You know, and so I think that's a beautiful thing, like you're saying, yeah. is just remembering our stories among us yes. to lead and form as leaders. That's so, so powerful. Wow. Yeah. So, friends, remember, share your stories. Share, we take time to remember the ways that God has moved and also engage in those practices that turn duty into delight and allow us to love God first. Philip, will you pray for us? As yeah, we, I'd as be we happy end. to. Amazing God. I think of my friends right now and what they're all going through. Lord, I want to give a space and moment for my friends across the screen to cry out to you in their own ways right now. Lord, you know the burdens that every single one of us is carrying. You know the heartaches, the joys, the delights, those secret things that we don't want to tell anyone. Father, I pray for a cleansing over your people, whether it be of sin, of negative history and past issues. 
God, would you just cleanse us, cleanse our minds, reset. And Lord, usher us into a new remembering that will remember your goodness as well. That will remember that what you said in the past will come to fruition in this future. Lord, we longingly look forward to the day when you will return. And we ask and say, and all God's people, wherever you're watching from, said, Amen. 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 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. Love God first because he loved you first. Thank you.